Good morning, everybody. I hate to disappoint you, but this is the last week we're going to be talking about Satan for a while. Isn't that horrible? We are, like, like Jordan mentioned, we're wrapping up this series called The Devil's Playbook, and uh, we've been talking about how the devil has plays. He's got strategies. He's a schemer, and he wants to use them to separate you from God. And uh, we've talked about what some of those are, are uh, uh, the last few weeks. And this week, we're kind of talking about the, how he interacts with our beliefs about our purpose for life. Um, we, we all, uh, pur- purpose, the purpose you live according to, whether it's the actual purpose of life or it's just one you invent, it's going to affect your life in a big way, one way or the other. The purpose that you live according to, whatever you think the purpose of life is, it's going to affect your relationship, it's going to affect your finances, it's going to affect your mental and spiritual and uh, physical well-being. It's going to affect all aspects of your life because you're going to live according to this purpose and the way that you live and the way that you behave is going to affect all those different parts of your life. So it's really important to to be wise about how we live according to our purpose for life. Now, I don't know how many people really just like sit down and think, hmm, what is the purpose to my life? And, you know, write it out and write a strategy and things like that. I don't think most people uh, usually, maybe they do, maybe I'm wrong, maybe people spend a lot of time really trying to figure it out. I'm sure some people do and some people don't, but I think a lot of people just kind of uh, Live according to a purpose without really realizing what it is And I think there's a specific purpose that the devil tries to make look extremely attractive and extremely enticing But in fact, and even though many people I think live according to it, whether they realize that they're doing it or not I think it's it's actually really destructive. It's really disappointing. It can break your faith in God And it can make you even though it sounds like it's going to promise you everything really ends up making you pretty Miserable. So that's where we're heading in this uh, message today, but that's not where we're starting. We have some ground to cover before we get there. We're going to start by looking at a, uh, a book of the New Testament of the Bible. New Testament is the part of the Bible written uh, about the time during and after the life of Jesus. And um, it's a letter that we have in the New Testament. It's called 2 Corinthians, and it's written uh, to a church of Jesus followers in the city of Corinth. Now, a man named Paul started this church, the Apostle Paul. If you don't know what an apostle is, the word apostle comes from the word sent. It means like a person who's sent out. So the apostles of Jesus were people Jesus sent out to teach people the gospel, meaning the good news. That's what that word gospel means, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came to die for our sins, to pay the punishment, uh, pay the penalty for, or take our punishment for us, even though we all deserve punishment for, and, and a penalty for sinning. That's what's just, that's what's right, that's what's right. He took it for us, and so he sent people out to go teach people what he taught while he was on earth. And Paul was one of those people, and he would go to all different sorts of cities and start churches there. In the year 51 AD, he went to the city of Corinth and started a church there. And he spent about 18 months developing this church, teaching people about Jesus, baptizing people, equipping people to follow Jesus. And uh, after that, he moved on to a new city. However, during the time while he's been gone, this letter that we're going to read is written in the mid-50s. He started the church in 51 AD. This is in the mid-50s. And some time's gone by, and they've been through some rocky times together. They've been through some conflict together. Uh, They've uh, had some some disagreements. And it's happened over the course of letters that he sends back and forth with them. And 
This book is called 2 Corinthians because it's the second letter that we have a copy of that's in the Bible. We have 1 Corinthians, the first letter we have a copy of, 2 Corinthians, the second letter. He, he also wrote some other letters that he talks about in 1 and 2 Corinthians. So this is actually probably the fourth letter. And he's just recently in his third letter kind of cleared up some conflict they all had and then sort of won a lot of them back who were angry at him. But there's still a small group of people who are really upset with Paul, And in fact, the reason they're upset is because there's some people that Paul calls sarcastically super apostles. We'll see him use that term. And he's using it sarcastically because of the, the type of false gospel that they preach. And they're stirring up conflict among the Corinthians. And there's some who, who he's writing to who are against him. Some that Paul is writing to who are against him because of these super apostles and the false gospel that they're preaching. So we're going to jump into chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians and uh, take a look at what Paul has to say with all of uh, that background in mind. So he says, I wish you'd be patient uh, with me in a little foolishness. So he, when he's talking about foolishness, the whole tone of this area of this letter right now, he's being super sarcastic. He's being, uh, he's, uh, he's kind of parodying what these super apostles are talking about. And he's using hyperbole that we're going to see. And he's just using it to prove his, his, his point. So just, he's like, you know, put up with my sarcasm, put up with my, my uh, hyperbole for a little bit here. Um, but indeed, you are, being, you, you are being patient with me. For I am jealous with you, of you with a godly jealousy. Now, when, when the word jealous in the English language, it's, you know, it's a bad thing, right? It's not good. But we don't always have the best words for the words they had back in the Greek. But he's just talking about a deep, intense uh, care and, and compassion and affection and concern. Concern. He has a great concern for them. Um, that's what he's talking about here. And he, he goes on to say what that concern is. He says, this is why I have that jealousy, because I promised you in marriage to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that just as the serpent deceived Eve by his treachery, your minds may be led astray from a sincere and, uh, sincere and uh, pure devotion to Christ. So he's worried the same way that Satan deceived Eve way back in the beginning, that they're going to be led astray by this, these super apostles who are preaching a false gospel. And he says why he's, he's nervous about that. He says, because if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, different from the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit than the one you received, the Holy Spirit, which is God, or a different gospel than the one you accepted, you put up with it. Well enough. So he's concerned. He's worried they're going to be led astray and deceived and go after something false. And he, he's bothered by that because he cares about them so much. He says, For I consider myself not at all inferior to those super apostles. And even if I am unskilled in speaking, this word unskilled just means I'm not, uh, I don't have any like official uh, training in public speaking and, and rhetoric like maybe these super apostles have. Because I, I haven't received that training, yet I am certainly not so in knowledge. Paul actually had some really uh, high-quality education that he went through. Indeed, we have made this plain to you in everything and in every way. He goes on. Or, did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you could be exalted? Because I, uh, because I proclaimed the gospel of God to you free of charge— I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so I could serve you. Now, did Paul 
actually uh, rob a different church. No, like I'm talking about, he's using sarcasm, he's using hyperbole here. He's talking about his uh, method of uh, reaching other people. Uh, his, uh, his method of how he spreads the gospel. So what, what Paul would do um, is he would start a church in one in spot, spot and teach them about Jesus and go um, after they got, you know, to the point where they could handle things on their own and keep things going on their own. He'd go to a new city and start a new church. And when he started the new church, like he did in Corinth, these other people who were uh, loving Jesus and so grateful for the gospel that they received, they wanted to support Paul in spreading the good news that they had received and they had benefited from. They wanted to support him financially so that when he went to a new city and taught the gospel to new people, these new people wouldn't have to support Paul in any way. And so indeed they did. And this is very, um, this is very different than the way these other super apostles would operate. They had a very different gospel. Paul had a very, Paul's gospel, Paul's good news, the teaching of Jesus was all about self-sacrifice and lowering yourself, laying down your life to lift someone else up, sacrificing yourself for someone else's benefit. But these super apostles, we don't get like a clear statement in, these, in this letter about what they were preaching exactly, but we get hints here and there, and we can kind of see it was really about achievement and success and all about outward appearances, and it was kind of superficial and about what other people thought about you, and those are the sort of things they valued, which was in stark contrast to what Paul was teaching at the time. So, Paul says, when I was with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia fully supplied my needs. I had people who came from a church I already started who came and supported me financially. So you didn't have, you didn't have to pay me anything. He says, I kept myself from being a burden to you in any way, and I will continue to do so as the truth of Christ is in me. This boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Now, when Paul's talking about boasting, he's not, he, he's, he's, he's uh, talking about how the super apostles, they were very boastful. They were all about talking about how great we are, and you should be like us, and be super successful, and have all these incredible achievements. That's going to give you what you want in life. And Paul's saying, you know, that's the boasting they do. The, the type of boasting I do is, is preaching the gospel to you free of charge. Now, that's not literally boasting, but it's just kind of the comparison that he's making. He's once again comparing these two gospels. And, and, and uh, he goes on to say, why? Why did I preach the gospel to you free of charge? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. Paul's, Paul's saying, I didn't tell you about how Jesus died for your sins and loves you free of charge. I didn't, I didn't charge you nothing because I hate you and don't care about you. I, I love you. I'm the person out of the super apostles versus me. I'm the one who loves you. I'm the one who sacrifices myself for you. And what I am doing, I will continue to do so that I may eliminate any opportunity for those who want a chance to be regarded as our equals in the things they boast about. And this is, so he's saying, I'm not changing my ways. I'm not changing the self-sacrificial way that I operate, the way that I uh, do things for free and find support from other people. I'm not going to change that. And he wants to do that so it's clear that they cannot confuse the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul is preaching with the gospel of the super, the super apostles, which is all about having letters of recommendations from other people to make them look real great, and all about receiving praise, and all about uh, lifting yourself up so other people think you're great, rather than lowering yourself to be able to lift other people up and care and benefit for other people. Paul wants to make sure those two gospels don't look anything the same. 
For such people, these super apostles, are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And Paul's about to say some really vicious stuff. If that wasn't bad enough, he goes on to say something really vicious about these guys. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will correspond to their actions. So he's saying these people are acting like Satan. They are taking a play out of the devil's playbook. Why are they doing that? Because they are servants of Satan, and they are going to get what they deserve for lying to you, for teaching you something that is false, that is not from God, and trying to make it seem like it is. But what we learn here in this little section here is the way that Satan likes to operate. He masquerades as an angel of light. He disguises himself as an angel of light. He wants to make himself look like the good guy. He wants you to mistake his teachings with God's teachings. He wants you to mistake his values with God's Values. He wants to make it look like it's compassionate to tell people it's okay to sin. He wants people to think that sin is something beautiful and wonderful. And he wants to trick you into doing that so he can separate you from God. A lot of times people picture Satan as something scary and evil, and I know I'm sure he is, but... But he, he wants to look, he wants to make you think, he wants to make you believe that he is something, that what he has to offer is really great and what's best for you and will improve your life. But when you buy into that lie, you end up very, very miserable. And Satan ends up very, very happy. So, we still have today many people who are like these super apostles. They are servants of Satan, and, and they act like Satan, and that they disguise themselves as angel of, angels of light. They want to preach a message that sounds really nice, that sounds really attractive, but in fact robs you of the good things that God wants you to have. And this comes in all sorts of different ways. There's all sorts of perversions of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everybody wants to try and change, not everybody, but many people want to try and change the gospel of Jesus Christ to fit the thing that, that they think is most important, that they think people should live like. One of the things um, that's happened in kind of the past few decades uh, that's really popular but is a lie is something called the prosperity gospel. And the prosperity gospel is this idea, if you think positively enough, if you uh, say enough po po positive declarations, if you say what you want, and if you just have enough faith, God will always give you all of the money that you want. He will fix all of your financial problems. He'll give you all the cars and the house and all that stuff, and he'll fix He'll heal your body completely if you just have enough faith, if you just believe it hard enough. And, and along with it goes the idea that if you just give enough money to a church or you give enough money to the traveling speaker, then God's going to heal all of your, of your ailments and he's going to give you all the wealth that you want. And Jesus didn't just die to free you from sin. He also died to free you from debt and poverty and 
He died. The purpose of him dying was so that you would be healed of all of your physical ailments. Now, that sounds really nice. That sounds like that would be great. But the problem with that is that it doesn't give an accurate reflection of what the Bible has to teach about suffering. It makes suffering look like it's the enemy. It makes suffering uh, look like it's a sin, like it's a, a, a product of not having enough faith in God. If you just have enough faith in God, you will never suffer. But that is not the picture. That is not what we learn about suffering in the Bible. In fact, uh, we learn a lot of stuff. And the first one being that Jesus promised you will suffer in this life. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Ultimately, yeah, he does want you to have peace. But guess what? While you have peace, he promises this. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He said, uh, secondly, following Jesus requires suffering. Jesus taught his disciples one time, if anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself. He has to say no to a lot of the, he or she has to say no to a lot of the things that they would like or make them feel comfortable and take up his cross and follow him. In Jesus' time, when people were crucified, they were forced to carry, often forced to carry the cross that they were going to be crucified on. This is a painful thing. It's a difficult thing. Jesus is indicating that there is going to be suffering if you follow him. It's going to take sacrifice. Um, third, God doesn't always remove the suffering uh, when we ask. God doesn't always remove our suffering when we ask. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter in 2 Corinthians, I, I don't know anybody who has as much as fa faith as he did, and yet he wrote this in the next chapter uh, in the letter that we were just reading from. He says this, Therefore, so that I would not become arrogant, a thorn, uh, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. What exactly that is, we don't know, but it was something that caused him a lot of suffering. A messenger of Satan to trouble me so that I would not become arrogant. I asked the Lord three times about this, that it would depart from me, but he said to me, my grace is enough for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Now, Paul, I mean, how do you have more faith than Paul? But there was a time... When God saw it necessary for Paul to endure suffering for his benefit and for the benefit of others around him. Number four, we learn in the Bible that growth comes from suffering. Growth can come when you're experiencing financial hardship. Growth can come when your body is functioning in a painful way. Um, the Apostle Paul writes this in his letter to the Romans. He says, not only this, but we also rejoice in suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Those are all things that we all realize our world could use more of. We could all use more endurance. It's really easy to want to give up. We could all use more character to be a person of greater value, to be a more loving and patient and kind and caring person. And a lot of us really would love to have some more hope, but suffering can bring about those things. God can use suffering in our life to bring about those things, and there's times in our lives where God will use suffering for that purpose, not because he doesn't like you, but because he wants to make you into a greater person who's more like Jesus. Jesus suffered as well. And number five, there is a benefit, uh, there is a benefit in the next life for the suffering we experience in this life. We, aren't, we don't get a real clear picture of exactly what that looks like or how it will pan out, but Paul says this once again in 2 Corinthians where we started. 
for our momentary and light suffering. Now, he's not saying that, you know, what you're going through is really easy. He's, he's talking about comparison-wise. Um, for our momentary light suffering is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. What you're going through now somehow earns you something greater in eternity spent with Jesus Christ. And when you compare the suffering you're going through now with the, whatever this eternal weight of glory we experience in the next life is, it's like it is nothing compared to the wonderful glory that will come. It's like a woman who goes through uh, pain in childbirth, that once you're holding that child, you, you forget about the pain. It's like this is so, so amazing and incredible. And however great the, the difference is between the joy of holding your child and the pain that you went through to get that child, this difference between the eternal weight of glory and the pain that you're suffering now is a bazillion times greater in comparison. So, finally, um, though all those things show us that suffering is a part of this life, it plays a role, it plays a purpose, God's not always going to answer our prayers, even if we have incredible faith. It's also important to remember that suffering will not last forever. In the final book of the Bible, which is called Revelation, and it's uh, revealing a vision that a man named John had about what the next life will be like. He says this, He, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will not exist anymore, nor mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have ceased to exist. So that is a comfort. Even though there's pain and suffering and difficulty in this life, we know that it has a purpose and that it is not Forever, But the prosperity gospel makes suffering and, and financial troubles and, and problems with your body make it look like you're sinning because you just don't have enough faith in God. And oftentimes it can shatter people's faith in God altogether because they feel like they have incredible faith and yet it, what they're hoping, what they're praying for is still not happening. So, if that is a, a false... Well, okay, so one of the reasons why I think this is, is a really... A bad thing to believe in is because the, the prosperity gospel is, is, a, is a bad gospel to believe in um, besides the fact that it doesn't agree with what the Bible says about suffering is that it misunderstands the purpose of life. It believes something about the purpose of life that is false and harmful and there is a th th that misunderstanding about the purpose of life is I think something many people believe in without realizing it it's a purpose of life that many people are attracted to and live their lives according to even when they aren't even when they aren't really aware that that's what they're doing. It's kind of the, the natural purpose of life that we move towards. And it's something that sounds really nice, something that uh, is, is very difficult, bad for you, really, but is sort of masqueraded in a veneer of niceness. I don't know, my words aren't working really well right now. Um, but ultimately, uh, but, but it, uh, what I'm trying to say is this. The devil masquerades as an angel of life, and it's like he, he masquerades this purpose as something that's beautiful, but actually is quite to your detriment. And this is, I think, a purpose that we're going to talk about that has been around for a long time. A lot of people have lived this way, but it had sort of a dark rebirth in uh, the beginning of the 19th century. Um, a man by the name of Aleister Crowley lived in the late uh, 1800s through the early 1900s, and he was known by the British media as the world's most wicked man alive during that time. 
And uh, I understand why, because when I was learning about him, uh, I just felt horrible. Like the rest of the week, I felt horrible after I learned about the things that he did. He was born to a Christian family, but uh, grew to hate Christianity, did horrible experiments on animals when he was a kid, um, had all sorts of uh, just disgusting practices he was into, but he was really heavily involved in the occult and trying to figure out how to master demons. And at one point, uh, he said he heard a voice from the god Horus, which is an ancient Egyptian god, um, that he dictated and wrote down into this book that's called the Book of the Law that many Satanists today use as their guiding book. And there is kind of a, a, a summary of it, of what it's all about. And this is a summary that many Satanists will live by. And it's, it's this, you might've heard it before. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Doing what you want to, doing whatever you want to, that's what this life is all about. Don't let religion tell you any difference, different, even though this is kind of its own religion telling you what to do here. Don't let religion tell you what to do. Don't let morality tell you what to do. Don't worry about what other people tell you what to do. Just do what you want. And really, and this is, it sounds kind of mean, but people say something very similar today that they think should be the purpose of life, but really is saying the same thing, this weirdly, uh, this weird statement that came from this very dark man had to say. And that's this idea. The purpose of this life should be just do what makes you happy. Now that's, I think we all realize do what you will. I think most of us, at least in this room, we realize the problems with that, like there's a lot of things people want to do that will make them happy, but are destructive to themselves and to other people as well. But when you hear it this way, it's got a nice mask on it to make it sound like it's something really nice and really beautiful. And in fact, when people say you should live this way, usually they don't just say it just like this. They usually tack this on the end to kind of justify it and make it sound a little bit better. Do what makes you happy as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. And that, I mean, that, that sounds at face value like, like a pretty nice thing. Um, so what does this mean exactly? Does it mean that happiness is not a good thing? Like you shouldn't do anything to make you happy? Well, of course not. Happiness is a gift from God. God allows you to experience happiness. He's given you incredible things to allow you to experience happiness. He gave you the gift of laughter. God allows you to be able to do that. God gave you the sense of accomplishment and joy you get when you overcome an incredibly difficult task. I mean, remember how, how it felt when you got through, finally got through finals and got to summer break? It was like this, ah, oh, incredible sense of, of relief. It, it's incredible. That's from God. I mean, sexual pleasure. A lot of people think that it's something God is all against, but God did give us boundaries on how we're supposed to uh, engage in that. However, it is something he created for your uh, enjoyment within the right uh, boundaries that, and, and guidelines that he's given to us in the Bible. The, the joy that you experience when you held your child for the first time, or the joy you, and the happiness you experience when you see them succeeding or making you laugh or smiling at you, that's from God. He gave that to you. The joy and the awe and the wonder you experience when you're out in nature and seeing how everything's beautiful, that comes from God. That is his gift to you. So happiness is a good thing, but what I, want, I want, what I want to argue is it should not take the place as the purpose of your life. Doing what makes you happy as long as it doesn't hurt anybody is a, is a deficient purpose for your life. It is not what you were intended for, and I want to show you a few reasons why 
It's not, okay? So first one is this, five reasons why. If you make, if, if you make this your purpose of your life, do whatever makes you happy, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. Who is the focus of your life? Who is your life about? You are the center of your universe. It is all about you. It is self-centered. If that's your purpose, to do what makes you happy, it is a self-centered life. And many people have tried, I feel like when I'm, when I'm watching on social media and stuff, people are trying to make it sound like, yeah, you just do you, you just take care of yourself, you just focus on you, make your life about you, and that's a good thing. But I think we all know when we hear the word self-centered, that's not a thing we want. That's, what, that's like what we try and get children to not do. And yet, it's presented oftentimes as virtuous, the same way that the devil, the devil masquerades as an angel of light. Secondly, we aren't great at knowing what makes us happy. You've probably done this before. You've done things in your life that you thought was a great idea would make you real happy, and it, you, know, you really regretted it. And then you went out and you did it a second time, and you were like, why, why, why am I doing this? We aren't great at knowing what makes us happy, so it's not a good purpose for that reason. Third, what makes you happy in the short term often makes you unhappy in the long term. Um, you know, there's many good things that you can do that uh, feel good right now, but much longer leave you enslaved to whatever that thing is. You know, it can be even good things like food and exercise and entertainment, but you want more and you want more and you want more and it gets out of control and pretty soon you can't stop doing those things and you're hurting other relationships because you're focused on those things. And of course, like, you know, substance abuse, drugs and alcohol, that feels good in the moment. It feels great in the moment, right? But it gets out of control and destroys your life. So that's another reason why making the purpose of your life do whatever makes you happy as long as it doesn't hurt anybody is not a good purpose for your life. It also assumes you shouldn't hurt anybody, right? Do whatever you want as long as you, should, as you don't hurt anybody. And I'm not saying it's good to just go hurt someone for the sake of hurting someone, but you know this, that sometimes doing the right thing is hurtful to somebody else. Sometimes showing somebody an act of love can be offensive to them. Like when you've done something wrong, the right thing is to confess that thing. When you've lied or you've cheated somebody, the right thing is to confess that. And it might upset them, but it's the loving thing to do. I mean, parents, you know this concept really well, right? When it comes to disciplining your child, and I'm not, you know, advocating abuse or anything. But disciplining, you know, it's, it's not fun, right? It's not fun for you. It's not fun for your kids. It can be hurtful to them. It can make them cry and, and scream and be angry and say, I hate you and uh, you're unfair and all this stuff. But you know that's the loving thing to do is to discipline them. And if you didn't discipline them, that would be an unloving thing to do. So sometimes it's appropriate to do something that might cause someone else to experience some pain. It can be the loving thing to do. And finally, I, ju I just think it's unrealistic that the second part of this that as long as it doesn't hurt anybody If the first part of your purpose is to make yourself happy You're just going to justify the second part in order to do the first part You're going to say well, it's not really hurting them Well, you know, it's not going to hurt them as long as they don't find out or you know I'm the real victim here or it's not my fault if they get hurt when i'm doing this It's their fault. They're getting hurt. We'll find ways to work around it if we make ourselves the center of our lives. So I think this idea, just do what makes you happy, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, I think it's something the devil would like you to base your life 
around and make it look as attractive as possible make it look as heroic and as virtuous as possible but in actuality it's going to hurt your relationships and rob you from living according to the real purpose god has for you and the band can come back up right now if you want to know what your purpose the purpose of anything is look at the person who designed it if you want to know what the purpose of something is look at the person who designed it and ask them what did you design this for what was the purpose of this thing that you designed and the good news is god revealed that to us who is our designer our designer revealed that to us through his word and we talk about this teaching a lot here and many churches do because it's one of the most important parts of the bible but jesus taught his disciples this when they were asked what the most important command is he said it's to love the lord your god with all your heart and your soul with all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself to love your neighbor as yourself now loving god and loving others that is there's there's many purposes that god's created for us but that is kind of like the summary of them to love god and love others and it's very different it's almost the exact opposite as as do what makes you happy because number one who is it who is this purpose about it's about others it is selfless it's about loving god it's about loving others it's about caring for others listen you want to be friends with someone who has this purpose right rather than do whatever makes you happy as long as it doesn't hurt them you want to be friends with someone whose purpose is to love you that's the kind of person you value so be that type of person Secondly, even though we don't always know what makes us happy, God teaches us, he lets us know what it means to love. A lot of people have a false understanding of love. Some people think love means uh, telling somebody whatever they're doing is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not love. God teaches us love. Jesus said there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends, to sacrifice yourself for the sake of another, because that's the way Jesus lived for us. He teaches us to love God means to be grateful to Him. It means to praise Him. It means to be obedient to Him. And to love others means to be kind and caring and patient and gentle. Sometimes it means saying something that might be difficult for them to hear in order for a relationship to be repaired. So God lets us know how to love. Um, it can also be painful short-term uh, loving someone, but results in more happiness long term yeah it might be difficult to have some of these conversations right now but in the end this is what's going to make your relationships better when you're loving to other people when you lift them up rather than lift yourself up above them number four it doesn't assume it's wrong to hurt others sometimes like i said loving someone can be a painful thing like when you see someone who's doing something you know is harmful to them and that you know is, is wrong, Paul says this, or James says this in the book of James. It says, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sin. I don't know about you, but when I've, been in, when I've sinned before, sometimes I don't like hearing other people telling me that's a bad idea. But that was a loving thing for them to do. And here's what, what I think that you'll be happier loving God and others. You'll be happier if you make that your purpose than if you seek your own happiness first. If you seek your own happiness, you just gotta have more and more and more, and it's never enough. 
But when you love God and you love others, you're able to enjoy the happiness that comes from that along the way. And you know that when you are unhappy, you can still fulfill your purpose. You're not failing to fulfill your purpose in life when you become unhappy. And happiness is a part of all of our lives. But it doesn't mean you're failing. If you live according to the purpose God gave, created you for, to love Him and to love others. And He doesn't tell you to love Him because He's like, hey, I'm great, you know, um, just make this all about me. No, He knows that your life will be better if you love Him. And He loves you. The theme of this, the theme verse of this series has been, so submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The devil wants you to believe that the purpose of your life is all about you. It's about your happiness. It's about you first. It's about others making you happy, and he wants to make that look as beautiful as possible. How do you resist that and make him flee? You live according to God's to love God and to love others. And when you start to think, I need to make my life about me, you just remind the devil, that's not my purpose. I'm going to listen to the designer. I'm going to listen to the one who made me. I'm going to listen to the one who gave me my purpose, who knows everything and knows what's best for me. I'm not going to listen to the one who masquerades as an angel of light, who pretends to be an angel of light, I'm going to listen to the one that John said this about. This is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light. He is not pretending. Satan wants you to think that he's like God, but he wants to destroy you. God is light, and from him comes life, the way that life comes from light. And he lights up the darkness. And in him, there is no darkness at all. So follow the designer's plan and purpose for your life. The devil's plan, plan for your life is for you to be destroyed and separated from God. And he wants you to do that. He wants to make that happen by getting you to believe that your life should be all about you should be number one. What God wants you to believe. He wants you to believe the truth, which is that your purpose is to love God and to love others. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for this time where you've taught us about how to be careful of the devil, and I pray that we would not forget what we have learned during this time, but that we would resist him and he would flee. And if there's people here who are realizing this morning, Jesus, that they've been living their lives for themselves and their own happiness, and it's been making them miserable and making other people miserable, I pray that they would take this moment just to say, God, forgive me. I am sorry for living according to my purpose. Please forgive me. I put my faith in you. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. And now I'm going to follow you and your purpose and plan for my life, which is to love you love others. And God, we all need help doing that. That is so hard. So help us, help us, help us to love you and to love others. We ask this in your name, Jesus.